still a bone. You know, at the beginning, we missed the first five seconds of the song, and so you wouldn't be deprived. We just tacked them on at the end. It's, uh, not many churches do that, so it's a special thing we offer here at Northwest. Um, Uh, sometimes you just get kind of tickled about something. I've been chuckling since Dennis told us that, that Rhoda in Greek is, of course, Rhoda, but in English it's Rose. And then when the, the song thing, I just, okay. I think it's the mask. When you have a mask on and you can't let a laugh out, it just keeps reverberating in your face until you just... <laughs> okay. Um, I have a sermon to preach. I should preach it now. Earlier this year, uh, earlier this year, we talked about how the world was going to be changing in the future. Uh, okay, here we are. Uh, but we talked about how not in uh, the sense of a global pandemic, we didn't know that was coming, not in the sense of the chaos that this year has brought in all kinds of different ways. Uh, but we know that the church is struggling in the world that it finds itself in uh, in 2020. Uh, in fact, the church has been struggling for decades in many ways. Churches uh, of all denominations are getting smaller. Uh, those who claim to have religious faith of any kind in the United States continues to be on the decline, the fastest growing religious preference uh, when people are asked, especially young adults, is none. Uh, so we've seen the rise of the nuns as it's often talked about in religious circles. Um, the climate of that the church finds itself in today, the culture that we're existing in is different from the climate in the past. Uh, and so the church can try to do old things in new ways. We can take the successes of 50 years ago and 100 years ago uh, and try and give them a new paint job and see if it doesn't produce different results. But as churches continue to try and do that, the world continues to say, um, yeah, that, you've done that before. And in fact, the things you did before are some of the things that have contributed to the mess that we're in today. And so the church continues to have to find new ways to do old things. And I don't mean old programs, I mean getting back to the core crux of the gospel, the things that matter the most and are essential to faith, and then finding ways that make them relevant and meaningful and effective in the world that we find ourselves in today. And we can spend a lot of time telling the world that it needs to change and go back to the way it was when the church was doing really well, uh, but it turns out our efforts to turn back time and to, to change the world to, to fit our needs is not going very well. And so it might be time that the church begins to develop new skills, new leaderships, new dependencies as we think about what it means to lean on God and to find missionally a way to communicate the gospel in the world that we actually find ourselves in. And as we talked about that earlier this year, we used uh, the, the historical example of Lewis and Clark's uh, expedition in the United States uh, back in the early infancy of our country uh, as they tried to find a Northwest Passage, a water route that would take them across the Northwestern United States all the way from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And they knew the Pacific was over there and they started with the Atlantic and they believed that there was a way they could travel by water all the way across or that at least there would be just a short space in between that they might have to traverse by land before they could then go downriver and get to their final destination. There was one thing that stood in the way of that plan's success. It's a little thing that we know today as the Rocky Mountains uh, and you cannot canoe the Rocky Mountains. 
And so as they first saw the massive peaks ahead of them, they began slowly to realize as the mountains grew higher, as they approached closer, that they needed a new plan, that they needed new equipment, they needed new skills, they needed new guides, they needed an entirely new approach to figuring out how to cross the country. They also had to figure out how to give the people who sent them the bad news that their trip was, in one sense, a failure. There was no water route. But in another sense, they continued towards the goal that was ahead of them to map out the entire part of the world and to find a navigable path across this massive country. They did that, but they only did it because they were willing to change plans and to develop and, uh, and accommodate the world that they found themselves in, not just grieving the one that was lost that they had been expecting. And so in the same way, the church of tomorrow needs new approaches, skills, tools, and new ways of doing the things that matter the most to Christianity. The church of tomorrow isn't going to look like the church of yesterday. And we can grieve that if we want, but the reality is that that missionaries do this all the time. They go into foreign countries and foreign worlds, and they ask themselves, how does the gospel apply, and can I communicate it and live it out among these people living this way in this place? Uh, We're not going anywhere. The world's just changing underneath us. It doesn't mean we don't need to ask the same set of questions about how to be true to God's word, true to God's uh, character, and take on that character and live it out in this world. And so as we began these conversations earlier this year, um, and you remember earlier this year uh, was about five years ago, but it did happen. Um, And earlier this year, what we talked about was a a three-part plan. And part one was that we would spend a while studying the Holy Spirit and reading what the Bible tells us about God's Spirit and how it forms character in us and how it guides us, that it empowers us with gifts and abilities, that it holds us together as a family and a community of believers. And I'm so grateful and have been grateful for those lessons this year as we've been worshiping uh, apart and yet together that we're reminded that even in different places that the Spirit is in us and among us and holding us together. What a blessing that is to know. But we talked about how the first step is that only out of an understanding and belief that the Spirit continues to be alive and active in the world and present in the people who claim that Jesus is their Lord and that God is their King, will the Spirit lead us into these unchartered territories. And it's only if the Spirit goes with us that we have anywhere to even go. So we spent a while talking about those things and praying about those things and considering what it means to be spirit-filled people. And then the second plan was that we would begin gathering around tables and in smaller groups as a church family and that we would talk about the things that God had put on our hearts and the gifts and skills that he had given to our church and the resources that we had. And we would be asking what are the callings that God is placing on our hearts and the convictions and and what are the core values of our church family. And that out of that we believed uh, that a number of things that matter the most to this congregation would rise to the top as multiple conversations with different smaller groups were coming up and that sitting Sitting around tables, as the earliest Christians did in the earliest days of of Christianity and obedience to Jesus, that what would come out of that is the real heart of Northwest and the calling of Northwest. And it would come from listening to our members that we would have this shared sense of common gifts and shared calling and and the the real character and virtues and values of Northwest would rise to the top out of these conversations. 
Uh, well, then we found out that you're not allowed to sit in small groups and around tables this year, which pushed step two to step three as that moves into, okay, the future, a future that we prayerfully anticipate. Uh, so then we come to step three. Step three that we intended to come after those conversations and what we said uh, we would do is we would listen to the things that Northwest cared about and felt the most called to the most. And then in those areas, we would start developing experiments of faith, experiments of being the disciples of Jesus Christ. And we would just try stuff because if you can't do the old stuff and you can't go read the guidebook on how to survive the, in the lands that no one's been to before, then we need to be willing to conduct experiments in faith where we say, let's try this for a while. Uh, maybe someone's done it before. Maybe no one else has. Let's see if this produces uh, something that is pleasing to God and beneficial for us and a blessing to our world. Let's try this for a while. And after we try it for a while, let's come back and see if we were right or wrong. If we were wrong, let's stop doing it. If we were right, maybe we continue it. Maybe we go, man, that worked. What's the next experiment? And we allow ourselves to be shaped by the doing of things that Jesus would have us to do. And not just the studying of things that Jesus said and did. A lot of this, for me personally, comes out of a book. If you if you've saw this last week's uh, Spiritual Formation Monday video on Facebook, you saw me talk about a book by Mark Scandrett, uh, a book called Practicing, oh, let me get the title, uh, a book called Practicing the Way of Jesus, Life Together in the Kingdom of Love. Life Together in the Kingdom of Love. And one of the things that Mark writes in his book that I find extremely compelling he says, in our world today, skeptical people are less convinced by purely rational arguments about why Christianity is true and more curious to see whether Christian belief and practice actually make a positive difference in the character of a person's life. The world is full of skeptics today. The world is full of people who say, I don't have any interest in your God, your church, your faith. I'm not interested in it. And we can go to them and make rational arguments about why they should care, about why it is true. But if they're not interested in our rational arguments, then we're being missionally ineffective. We're being evangelistically uh, weak. We need to find ways that work in this world to convince skeptics that there's something real going on here. And if what the world is saying is, if you want me to believe in your God, don't argue your God to me. Show me that it makes a real difference in your character and who you are and how you live it out in your family, your work, and your life. Well, if we go back to them and say, no, I just want to argue with you, we're not going to be very effective. And the skeptics will increase and remain. And the reality is that skepticism isn't just something that belongs to the world in, in 2020. Skepticism is in the church. It's not just true of the world. In the church, increasing numbers of people have mentally checked out and still come or have physically left the Christian groups that they've been part of because they felt that these contexts and communities are not actually helping them believe, belong, and live better. Yikes. It's a scary thing when a person can go to church their whole life and you can ask them, what difference has being a Christian and a member of this church made in your life? And they go, I don't know. I don't know. The donuts were good. 
If that's what the people that are part of our church or any church can say, that church is missing it. It's missing it. It's failing to be the kind of church that helps people to grow not just into believers, but into disciples of Jesus Christ. And so Mark in his book became part of a group that believed a lot of these things. And here's a few of the things that they believe. And some of this is going to be, it feels so obvious, but when you hear it, you think, man, that's exciting to me. Or at least that's how I respond to it. To experience the kingdom of God, a group of people should get together and simply try to do the things Jesus instructed his disciples to do. Isn't that incredible? That, that for people to truly experience the kingdom of God, that the thing you should do is get together and try and do the things Jesus taught and that Jesus did. And in the doing of them, you can start to become the kingdom of God and experience the kingdom of God in your life. It can't be taught to you. It can't be given to you. You just choose to be in a community of people doing it together. And that that's where the experiencing happens. We need a path to discipleship that is more like a karate studio or a dojo than a college lecture hall. You learn by active doing and not passive studying. You could really use any sports metaphor. I I really like the dojo uh, illustration. But, but if you want to learn sports, you can't read your way into the NFL. You cannot study your way into the NBA. It's not possible to know enough about sports that you'll get a contract to play pro. You can't do it. You don't become a black belt by reading the history of karate. You learn it by getting out and wrestling with someone, with fighting with someone, getting the skills, putting them into practice, by by training your body, your mind, and, and the whole part of you to do all the things. It happens by the physical repetition of the things that you're being taught by a master who or a coach who's teaching you how to actually do it. Christianity is always best taught when you're doing it, not studying it. Now, does that mean we shouldn't study? I'm not saying that. And we're in the churches of Christ, we're in no danger of not studying enough. We love the word and we love teaching and we love learning. And so I'm not saying that we need to stop that. But if we're not bringing the actual doing and lived out experience of faith alongside the studying, then we're never going to get a signed contract to go pro in our Christian lives. We're going to fail to experience the kingdom of God to its maximum potential if we only think faith and don't live faith. And so we've got to develop experiments in Christian living. They must be rooted in the life and teachings of Jesus, where a group of people commit time and energy to a set of practices. And a set of practices that are not just theoretical, but they're connected to the real-life needs of our society and ourselves. And after you do it for a while, you come back, and you don't just keep doing it forever, because in anything, you need to pivot and learn new skills. If you're good in one area, add another area. I mean, you've always seen uh, pictures of people who spend too too much time in the gym working on their arms and not enough on the legs, and they look out of balance. It's true for us in our spiritual lives as well. You spend too much time in prayer and not enough in service, you can get out of balance. And so you need mission to accompany study. You need worship to accompany spiritual friendships and relationships. And so you experiment in one area and you see if it goes really well. You allow God to bless you through it. And then you step back and reflect, see if it was a benefit to you or the kingdom of God. And then you ask, what's 
next. If you failed, you still learned something. You still grew. Maybe you were humbled, which, by the way, brings you more into the image of Jesus. Maybe you were successful, uh, but it wasn't beneficial to you, but in your success, you were able to bring someone else closer to Jesus. Well, that's a blessing, too. And so constantly doing the things that Jesus would have us do in the world it, with these experiments in Christian discipleship. Today, uh, I want to present to you one such experiment in Christian discipleship. This is something we've uh, been working on in the office and in conversations with other people. Uh, in fact, um, you remember Ryan Russell is preaching now in Charlotte, North Carolina uh, at the Noda Church, uh, Noda Church of Christ, and he's been there uh, for several years, and, and he's been one of my conversation partners in doing this. And, and as we started with rough drafts, we kind of worked through them together. At some point, his became a little bit different than ours to fit their context and their mission. Um, but they're launching this in North Carolina today too, spiritual, spiritual formation groups. Uh, and we didn't actually plan to launch on the same date. We were just talking this week and it's like, hey, I'm doing that Sunday. And me too. And so this is really kind of fun. We're in this experiment together uh, while apart. Welcome to 2020. Um, the way spiritual formation groups are designed to work is that they lean into some of the earliest core teachings and practices of early Christianity. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus tells uh, those who he's teaching to, he says this, Matthew chapter 18, he says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Spiritual formation groups are two to three uh, adults of the same gender that commit to spend an hour or so getting together or talking together every week uh, about several things. And we'll get into kind of the logistics of it for a minute, but I want you to see that Jesus is teaching here that where two or three gather in my name, there I will be with them also. In this passage, he's really talking about dealing with sin in the church and conflict and resolving problems uh, of immorality and, and of a lack of growing where God wants you to be growing and, and preventing you from falling away when you're falling away. Uh, and he says, when two or three gather to do that difficult work of dealing with brokenness in one of your brothers and sisters' lives and helping to put them back together, Jesus says, I will be with you. And so when we first start talking about groups of two to three committing to get together regularly, what we're doing is inviting Jesus into one hour of our week. I'm going to get together with two or three uh, of my brothers or sisters in Christ each week knowing that if I'm willing to do that, to try and grow in my relationship with them and with God, that Jesus is going to show up. What a blessing. What an incredible gift that Jesus promises us if we're just willing to do it. And we know the proverb, chapter 27, verse 17, uh, which says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You might say, listen, I just want my faith to be between me and Jesus. I, it's a personal thing. It has nothing to do with other people. I don't really like relationships. I don't like opening myself up to other people. That's fine. But what you're doing, according to this proverb, is choosing to remain a dull blade. 
And you can choose to do that. Jesus on the cross can wash away the sins of dull blades, but you're just choosing to be that kind of a tool in God's hand in the life that you're living in the world that you live in. You can stay a dull blade or you can choose to be sharpened by having a brother or sister that regularly talks to you about your life of faith, reading the word with you and praying with you so that you might become sharpened by what they offer you and they may become sharpened by what you offer them. You can do Christianity alone, but it's not the way it was ever designed. Later, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he offers them this simple instruction. And the invitation there to those Christians is to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And it's this incredible image of Paul reaching out and holding Jesus' hand. And as he seeks to follow Jesus everywhere Jesus leads him, he reaches back to anyone else who is in the church behind him and says, listen, just if you follow me, I'm following him, and we can all get where God needs us to go. And the church today needs people who are willing to cling to Jesus and extend a hand to the others who are near them and around them. And you get this vision, not just of a chain, but of an entire community of people linking arms with one another, moving forward as they all cling to Jesus and do the best they can to put his teachings in action. That it becomes this family moving arm in arm, pulling each other forward more and more in the footsteps of Jesus. And finally, in Acts chapter 2, at the end of that passage where Peter gives the great first sermon uh, of Pentecost, calling thousands to faith and baptism, repentance, and a life of following Jesus, uh, it begins to describe what that group of believers that came together in those first days looked like. And here's how they're described. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christianity was born as a community of disciples who were brothers and sisters, men and women, who met in homes. And they would sit around the room and they would share faith, they would sing songs, they would pray prayers, and they would break bread together. They took care of one another's needs. It was deeply relational. Christianity for its first hundred years happened knee to knee and eye to eye. It was only hundreds of years later that when Rome really kind of came in and began to institutionalize Christianity within the Roman Empire, that Christianity went from being something that happened eye to eye and face to face to something that was people looking over each other's heads to look at the guy in the front. And there's good in that. I'm glad that Christian persecution ended, but there's bad in it too, and that we lost a lot of the relationality, the relationship that was part of earliest Christianity. We lost the, the, the need for one another, uh, that you and the person across the room from you would talk about faith, would break bread together, that you would meet one another's needs, and it became an audience listening to a guy who uh, sometimes talked well into lunch. We lost something. We lost something when that happened. And we need to not give it up. 
We need to reclaim that part of earliest Christianity that was always about relationship. Especially this year, uh, when a global pandemic and the benefits of technology have pushed us even farther from the practices of those earliest Christians and shared faith around tables. As I mentioned earlier, some of the conversations that we hoped would happen just like this, face-to-face and eye-to-eye, got pushed into next year because the circumstances of this year have not allowed it to happen, have not allowed us to do that. We've moved from being in shared spaces, having important common conversations, to being isolated in our living rooms, and, and there's been good in that too. I've been talking to some families that have been doing faith in their families of four, five, and six, where they've been sitting around after church talking about what they learned and what they, they've studied, that they're breaking bread as families together. That is, that is core Christianity in its finest. That's them doing what happened in Scripture. But for those of us who are feeling isolated and pulled apart and are longing for the relationships that we used to have here and that the church had in living rooms and around tables, we need to remember that this isn't how it was designed. And I'm so thankful that we've been able to do all the things we've been able to do this year, but I miss a lot of what was lost. And I miss a lot of what has been lost in historical Christianity. Because there's something about having a brother or sister that is is your person that you can go to and share faith and life with. Your person that can pray with you in good times and in bad. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian and and pastor, leader in churches during uh, the Holocaust, and who stood up against Hitler in Germany and ended up being killed for it, Uh, once wrote about the importance of doing exactly this. God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the mouth of a brother. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the words of his brother. His own heart is uncertain and his brother's is sure, and that clarifies the goal of all Christian community. They meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. God places his word in our mouths for the purpose that we might speak it into the ears and the heart of our brothers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer created several groups of of men who were trying to live together in faith, and and he's constantly writing. This was in a book called Life Together, where he explores the difficulties and blessings of a group of people who commit to living the life of faith with one another. And he goes through all the challenges, and he teaches extensively about humility, but he, he pushes so much against isolation and individualism, and he realizes the importance of Christians who are willing to take God's Word and not just digest it for their own benefit, but then to give it lovingly and willingly and gladly with generosity to their brother or sister so that they might receive a gift from you. And that this is the core virtue of all Christian community, this willingness to have conversations of faith with one another in ways that can lift you up and challenge you and bless you. 
And so it's out of these spiritual and, and faith convictions that spiritual formation groups at Northwestern are kind of launching. And again, this isn't for everyone. We're not going to register you. You cannot succeed or fail in this. We're not going to keep track of who's doing it. Uh, this is a voluntary experiment of faith that we offer you. It's just what this really is, if you don't like the phrase experiment, uh, think of it as a sermon with optional application, which is, by the way, what we do every week here. And so the spiritual formation groups, as they're designed, and, and you may have got the, the brochure on the way in, um, this is a brief guide. The intention of having the brochure is this, uh, that it is accessible to anyone, that it is easy to put into practice, it is easy to, to get into it and begin doing it. It removes the, uh, but what do we talk about when we get togetherness of the idea of a brother and sister in Christ coming together uh, and doing this with another uh, person. It says, here's kind of the simple formula to follow as you get together and then modify it, grow it, work with it, let it breathe as it works between you. Uh, there's no leaders, there's no signups, there's no attendance, there's no matchmaking. Uh, there's a simple pattern with a commitment between two or three people. And so if you want to join a spiritual formation group, here's kind of how you do it. You take one of these, uh, and we also emailed out, there's a link to these on the website. You can go to the church website and get those there, and you can email it to someone. You can do it that way. It's a good socially distanced way of inviting someone to do this. Uh, or you can hand it to them. You say, I, I want you to look at this. I would like to find someone to do this with. I've been praying, and I think I would be blessed if you would do this with me. Would you mind reading it, praying about it, and letting me know if you would be willing to make a commitment of some time to doing this? They take it. They read it. If they say, yes, congratulations, you're in a spiritual formation group. Pick a time that you can get together. That's how simple this is. Uh, they're made of two or three adults of the same gender who commit to meet for about an hour once a week. When you get together, there's three goals that you have for your conversations or your gathering. Three goals. The first one is this, is you answer several questions about your life with God in the last week. And they're pretty straightforward questions. You're not asked uh, to confess all your sins. This is not a weekly confessional with someone. Uh, you're asked to review your last week with gratitude and share how you've been blessed this week. So question number one, have you been blessed this week? How so? Are you thankful? You share thanksgiving together. The next thing you do is you ask, where did I miss God or something God may have desired for me? Uh, and this may be confessional, or it may be just recognizing that you had an opportunity where you didn't do something, or looking back at your week and being like, man, did God desire for me to to do something that I didn't? Or did I do something God would rather me not have done? And you look back at your week and you see where God may have been present in your life hoping for one thing and you missed that thing. So that's the second question. The third one uh, is this, where did God show up in your life and you met him? Where did God's activity or presence show up and you joined with God to do something for God or the kingdom or for others or you received a benefit or a blessing yourself or overcame a challenge? Maybe there was a temptation you avoided. Uh, whatever it is, this is a kingdom moment in your last week. You know, I had an opportunity this week that I was at work and someone said to me, um, man, I don't, I'm having a tough time. And I said, can I pray for you? That's where God was present in your life, and you met him there in that person's life. And so you look for times that you uh, saw a kingdom moment and a kingdom opportunity, and you took it. So that's the third question. 
The fourth question is this, what are potential challenges or opportunities to live into God's plan in the next week? Uh, look forward and say, boy, I've got a performance review this week that I'm really worried about. Well, that worry is going to drive you into a place of anxiety and fear. God does not desire for us to be filled with anxiety and fear, but to be people of confidence. That's your challenge this week. You may realize that, uh, that you're getting together uh, with your family this week. And there are either some really great opportunities there or some really great challenges, but maybe it's a good time to talk about it with someone in advance and think about what God wants you to be doing in that moment of challenge or opportunity as you anticipate what your week holds. You discuss prayer needs of group members or others and pray together. Pray together. What do you want to be praying about? Pray for one another and with one another. Uh, and then the third thing is this, is you agree to read the Bible during the week with accountability. This is not a one-hour Bible study, okay? This is very relational. It's accountability. It's spiritual formation, um, but it's not a Bible study. But you do need to be digesting the Word of God to be growing in it. You need to be reading the Word of God. And so rather than say, here's how much you need to be reading, you and your partner come together and say, here's how much knowing my reading ability and desire at this point in my life and yours and my time availability for the next week, how much do we want to read? You can read a lot of New Testament books uh, in less than an hour total. So spread that out over a week. This week, let's read the book of James. Let's just read the book of James. Is that, does that fit your schedule? Yes. And when you come back together, you don't have to, to bring your Bible and go through verse by verse and be like, man, this one, what do you think about this? And they, you can, I mean, you can do that. I'm not saying you're not allowed to study the Bible together. But what I'm saying is what I really desire for our people to be doing is saying, one, did you read it? Did you read your Bible, what we talked about? If you didn't, uh, there's no guilt or shame. You just say, nope, not this week. And you say, okay, well, let's same reading again this week. And you both go back. And, and really, if you have to read a book of the Bible again for a second week in a row, certainly that won't make you go, oh, I just read that one. The Word of God is living and active. It's a blessing to us. And, and the opportunity to read something like that repetitively in community and in context is a gift. Did you read it? Uh, if not, reread it together for the next week. Uh, if you both read it, the questions you ask are this. What was there in the text that challenged you? What was there in the text that blessed you? You've, you've done it. You each share something that blessed you or something that challenged you. Uh, and it can be broad. It can be specific. It might be a word. It might be the whole idea of something that you've never thought of before. It may just be that in that specific day, something spoke to you where you were, and, and it's just reflective. But what challenged you? What blessed you? You read the Bible together outside of the group and will have accountability and conversations about it when you're together. When it comes to growing the group, all group members prayerfully consider inviting somebody new before inviting, uh, and you all agree. Uh, so don't just show up with surprise friends. Um, you, you know, I'm thinking that I've got someone that God's put on my heart that we might invite. What do you think? If the answer is no, that's okay. It means that person needs your group to stay small and intimate during this season. And it may be that way for a while, and you may have a period where you go through lots of inviting people in, maybe for a short time, maybe for a while. Once the group grows to four faithful members, you become two groups. Four is 
too many for a spiritual formation group. But I've got a whole group of friends that I want to get together. Great, do it on Friday night. But I've got a whole life group that I want to be getting together in life group. Great, get together at life group. But a spiritual formation group is flexible. It is intimate. It values confidentiality and trust. Uh, it allows you to meet in, uh, in just any time that you need to. And, and let's be honest, this year in our circumstances, we need a lot of flexibility. It's hard to find ways for 10 to 15 people and all of their kids to get together in a safe way. It's pretty easy for two people to get together. Spiritual formation groups, as they're kind of outlined and detailed here, are pretty COVID-proof. Because even if you need to be on the phone, you can be on the phone. If you want to go on a walk with headphones and talk on a Bluetooth headphone while you're on walks in different places, you can do that. You can walk together. There's so many different ways to do this that work really well in a year that requires lots of flexibility. These aren't, and here's kind of a list, here's a few things that, that spiritual formation groups aren't. They are not a deep, detailed, analytical Bible study. They are not a massive time commitment. They're not large groups that require lots of coordination. They're not mentoring. Okay, and this is important because I think a lot of people get really weird when it comes to mentoring and discipleship, uh, especially on the, the leading side, because who am I to tell you what to do when I feel unequipped, untrained, unqualified to do that. These groups are designed to be mutually beneficial. That as iron sharpens iron, so one to the other, that each person in the group has a gift and a blessing to give to the other people in the group. And so when you come together, if you have someone that's a lot older and someone that's a lot younger, boy, I guarantee you that you both have blessings you can offer each other and benefits in that relationship. Um, this really is intended to be accessible. You do not have to have Bible training or be a prayer warrior to be successful in this. It's not designed that, that you have to get with someone that's, that's as equally mature or old than you or shares your interest. It's designed to be incredibly flexible because all people have the ability to do all of these things. It's not a chance to hang with your best friend. I, I, I won't give you much kind of too much direction in who you pick or anything else, but I will offer this. Don't pick your best friend because that relationship is so um, established already. Trying to layer this onto it will make this feel like an extra thing on your friendship. Find someone that can be in your spiritual formation group that right now is maybe a stranger, a comfortable stranger or a familiar acquaintance that you've wanted to get to know better but just haven't had the opportunity so that this can kind of be the foundation you build that relationship on one of prayer and reflection and reading the word together, and that it allow it to shape the entire relationship as you move forward. Um, the, the potential of this is, there's lots of ways you could potentially do this. And I've mentioned a few of these. While going on a walk, sharing a meal in a real room or a Zoom room, in lawn chairs at a park, over the phone, at a coffee shop, intergenerationally, with someone that you have a lot in common with or very little in common with. Let God guide you as you seek to do this. Um, there's no sign-up or registration. So you can't, if you come up to me and say, hey, I want to do one of these, put me in it. I'm going to give you a flyer and say, I would like for you to read this and pray about it, and then go give this to someone else and say, I would like you to read and pray about it. Would you like to do this with me? That's the registration. You don't have to email the office or call and tell us once you do this. I mean, you can. We'll be excited for you. 
We'll pray for you that it'll be a great blessing. But there's not a deacon over spiritual formation groups. There's not an email group that you can sign up for that tells you what to do each week. This is you choosing to do simple things of faith, actively doing what Jesus has called his disciples to do in a friendship and relationship with a brother or a sister. Now, that being said, I do want a few people to sign up with the church. Um, What I'm really hoping happens, and it's an experiment, and so it may not work. What I'm hoping happens is that there's three groups, uh, three groups of women and three groups of men uh, who will commit to doing this faithfully between now and mid-December, and that will come back and share their experience with the church. This is part of the experiment, is that at some point we check back in and we reflect on if it's working and if it's blessing and if it needs to be tweaked or modified. Uh, If it's a total failure, what did you learn from your failures? And and just share those things with the church family. And so I do want three groups uh, who can reach out to to me and let me know. I want to be one of the three groups who commits to doing this. And if you're thinking about doing this, you need to feel very called to this kind of ministry opportunity. You need to believe it'll meet a need in your lives or the lives of someone else. And you're passionate about connecting with someone else at church and growing together. Um, and then make sure you're both willing. Don't, don't call me and say, yeah, I want to do this. And then don't tell the person you're meeting with that they're going to be part of an experiment that shares their story with the church. Uh, let us know. We'll check back in on this in, in December. If you'd like to be one of those six groups, get your group of, of two to three established and let me know. If you don't, that doesn't mean you have to like wait and not do this because you remember all it takes to join a group. Would you like to do this with me? Pray about it and make a commitment. Whether you choose to participate in this ministry now, later, or never, God does desire you to be open to the work of His Spirit in your life. And so if this isn't what God's putting on your heart to do, figure out what He is putting on your heart to do and start doing that. It may be some small slice of this. It may be something else altogether. It may be that you've already got so much of something like this in your life, you've got another area that you're deficient in in your spiritual walk. Well, go do something there. Whether it's this ministry or something else, what are you doing to open yourself to God's activity in your life? Uh, The reality is that today we simply aren't experiencing the kind of whole person transformation that we instinctively long for and that a watching world expects to see. God is willing if we will only let him in. I'll tell you, if you need to respond to that call today, you don't do it by coming forward. You do it by taking a step forward and actively doing what Jesus would call you to do in your life. This morning, if you do need to respond to the gospel or have a special prayer need, please come forward as we stand and worship together.